pleasure always to speak to Formula One motorsport correspondent Fundy Henrik Fugut. Henrik, welcome as always to From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Good day, Louis. Great to talk to you again. Right. We are starting to get those little butterflies in our tummies, aren't we? It's getting close. We're in February. It all starts next month. How excited are you? Well, actually, actually very excited, Louis. Um, in fact, it starts this month. A little bit later this month, obviously, we will see the first cars rolling in anger. Rolling in anger. That's on the weekend of the 23rd to the 25th of February. The first and only winter test will happen um, at the Bahrain International Circuit. So that's just a a week or so before the first race, as you say, which is in the first weekend of March. So it's getting pretty close at the moment and lots of excitement because obviously uh, big questions are asked about what is going to happen this season, taking into account what happened last season. Are we going to see more of the same or are we going to see something different? We'll talk about that in a moment, but how much do you read into these winter testings? I mean, do you take anything out of it? Generally, you'll find that teams that run close to the back of the grid are the fastest during these sessions, and the real might of the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the others are only really prevalent come the second day of the first race, really. That kind of holds true. It's always been been true that, that some teams do hold back when, when they do their winter testing because they don't want to show their hand. And the first real um, measure is actually qualifying for the first race. That's when you get the real sense of who's fast. But even then, you know, things can not quite work out for some teams. And it sometimes only takes the first three or four races when a pattern starts to develop, when you really start to see what is likely to be the battle lines for the season ahead. But looking back to to last uh, season... Uh, we remember that that uh, Mercedes did not did not have a good winter test, and that proved to be absolutely accurate for virtually the entire season because they were struggling with with a thing called poor pushing. And we also saw when the season started that Ferrari started very strong, very strongly, um, winning the first uh, three races from memory, um, and then the whole campaign sort of fell apart as the season progressed. So. The question, what do we read from the winter test? I think also in general in the past, many years ago, when when testing was kind of unlimited, they could test as often as they wanted to. Teams did not show their hand that clearly. But then slowly but surely over the years to try and save money, uh, costs and that sort of thing, testing became more restrictive during the season. That was banned, in fact, uh, virtually a number of years ago, in-season testing. But also the pre-season tests, were limited and for this season we only have the one session so really the teams have one session over three days to test to see whether everything that they designed works as they designed it to work so therefore the teams don't really have you know the leeway to hold back for their own sakes they do need to know where they are in relation to the other teams they cannot really afford to hold back so i do think that these days Pre-season tests are a relatively accurate reflection of at least how the season will start. Obviously, seasons yeah. they progress, as, as I've mentioned, and, and developments. The other thing is that this year will be the second, effectively the second year of the cost uh, cost cap, the, uh, the budget cap being effective, which restricts the teams on the amounts of money that they are allowed to spend on performance-related developments during the season. In other words, yeah. they, you know, they, they, uh, and there's also a thing for this season until 
the end of the 2025 season, the engine regulations, the power unit regulations are frozen. They're not allowed to upgrade their engines. They're only allowed to bring in changes to their engine. And I say engines, I mean the power unit, which is the complicated power units that they use with uh, energy recovery systems and that sort of thing. Um, they're not allowed to upgrade those engines performance-wise. They're only allowed to bring in changes as the season progresses to rectify things like um, reliability problems. And you're not allowed to gain any performance by bringing in any for as a solution for any possible reliability problems. So there's already a bit of a like, dream because what happened last year, and I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but but last year, uh, Ferrari, it came out towards the end of the season that Ferrari had to hold back on their engine's uh, performance because of reliability problems. They couldn't run their engines as high as they wanted to, to deliver as much power as they wanted to because the engines, they needed to find reliability. So now some teams are accusing them that for this season, despite the, the engine uh, regulations being frozen because of those reliability um, enhancements. Teams are now saying Ferrari has gained 30 horsepower. Now, 30 horsepower is a huge amount in terms of, of gaining performance. And Ferrari, of course, are saying, no, not at all. We we, we, we simply, you know, brought in changes to, to to improve our reliability. But teams are saying, well, you know, we'll have to see, wait and see. Maybe this year Ferrari will be able to use their engines at their full power and, and they will be able to do it reliably. Um, so, uh, you know, let's see what let's see what happens. It's interesting you talk about winter testing, but I mean it's happening in poor rain. Has it ever been winter? <laughs> well, that's that's of course yeah. We, when we say winter testing, we talk about uh, European winter testing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, just, yeah, yeah. I mean they're gonna about, well, well they're gonna run in, in temperatures that are relatively close to at least the the starting temperatures that they're gonna have. Um, you know, at the, at the beginning of the season, um, at least they're gonna have you know the first. Two races are going to be in Bahrain and then Saudi Arabia. And then in Australia, which is beginning of April, when it's sort of relatively at autumnish temperatures. So, you know, those kind of temperatures, temperatures I think, are going to be uh, representative when, when they do test in Bahrain. You spoke about the power heads. You spoke about the engines and the fact that they are not allowed to do anything through the course of the season. I always try and refer to Formula One in terms of the fact that the most highly skilled engineers are working on these cars. And as you quite rightly say, 30 horsepower or even three or four horsepower can make one tenth of a second difference, which could be pole position or even sometimes second or third on the grid. So when you have a company that are having a problem with a hacker, you generally try your best and get another hacker to be able to check and help you solve those problems. Formula One, <laughs> how does the guy who's going to check this engine know, I mean, he knows basically what he's looking for, but these are the most highly skilled engineers in the world who are hiding even one tiny little thing from everybody. How will he know that they've not made a change? There are various things in place to enforce this regulation, uh, Louis. Um, the first thing is that there's a limit on the number of units or elements in these power units that the driver out to use for the entire season. So, for instance, they are only allowed to use three um, internal combustion engines. That's the engine part, the pistons and the uh, spark plugs and, and, and you know, yeah. uh, that's the internal combustion engine part. They're only allowed to uh, use three of those elements for the entire season. And this year there are going to be 23 races, not 24. So that means more than seven races per unit internal combustion engine. And then there are limits on, on the number of the uh, 
the MGH, what they call, well, they, you know, the the electrical, the electric power generators that they that they are using. Um, in, uh, there are limits. Uh, I, I don't have that in front of me, but they've got a limit of five, I think, for the one and th- three for the other, and then the control electronics, which is another element of of the power unit. Only four or five of those. Gearboxes, I think, are only limited to six per year. How do they police that? They actually, the FIA, um, they seal those. They have inspectors that check at every event whether the seals are broken from the previous event. And again, they are only allowed to break those seals under supervision of the FIA. And and if you want to change something, you've got to break a certain seal to change that. And that's got to be inspected. So, yeah, there are all kinds of ways in which they do inspect, um, you know, the use of these elements of the power unit i don't know how clearly i've been able to explain that but they certainly they they certainly do police that and of course if if a driver or a team um uses more than those elements they are then penalized and there's a huge debate on that in formula one about the the penalties because if you you say use your fourth internal combustion engine of the year of the season that's one more than you're allowed to then you then the driver has got to go back 10 places on the grid for that race and if they use more than this for that then another five places and for more than you know so they carry carry on and the the question is of course why does the poor driver have to suffer because the team could not provide him with a reliable internal combustion engine as i say that's 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 a big question that's a big conversation i know (laughs) Right. Let's go back to what all of us generally understand, and that is race days, race calendars, and what we think is going to happen on the tarmac. So what's interesting for me is we go Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, then they move to Australia, which is all kind of like close to each other. Then they go to Azerbaijan, and then they fly all the way to the United States. It's quite weird. And then back to Europe again. Interesting start to the season. Well, you know, it's it's very difficult to put together um, a 23 or 24 race Formula One calendar because there are all kinds of things that they've got to take into account. For instance, this past season, they had to take into account the the, uh, the World Cup, the uh, Soccer World Cup in Qatar has already been scheduled, of course. So they had to sort of work the calendar for 2022 to end that before the start of the World Cup, because, of course, then they, they would lose a lot of TV uh, viewership. But there are things that you have to take into account, things like, for instance, Bahrain pays extra to have the opening round of the season. Um, and also, if you have races in the Middle East, you cannot have them in the summer. We, we referred to that uh, that early on. In the European summer, from, say, May onwards to August, it gets extremely hot, as most people would probably know, in, in the Middle East. So you can't have Bahrain or Qatar or Saudi Arabia or, or whatever, those races um, in the middle of the season. So you've got to have them at either end of the season or, you know, Abu Dhabi for us. And Abu Dhabi also, the final races of the season, they also pay extra for, to have that because they, everybody hopes that you'll have a, a championship decider final, final race. Then there are things, as I say, other other world sporting events. Um, and also when you move to, they've got three races there this year in North America. They've got the the Miami Grand Prix. They've got the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, and they've got the Mexican Grand Prix. And then they're Vegas. bringing in the Las Vegas Grand Prix this year. That's, that's all in, in North America. So you cannot have them all together because, you know, you, the one cannot steal audience from the other. So you have to have a bit of a spread there. Is that why they go to the United States and fly back to Europe for three races and then go to Canada? I mean, you would think hop across the border. The thing about the Canadian Grand Prix is is that, again, because of the, the weather conditions, they have to have they race in the European summer, in the Northern Hemisphere summer, because if they have it later on in the year, it, it becomes very cold. It's, it snows in Montreal um, in winter. In fact, the circuit gets damaged because of the uh, fluctuation of temperatures between summer and, and winter, and, and they've got it often. 
breaks the circuit because of that. So, you know, that's also another uh, factor. And as you say, when we go to Azerbaijan, then all of a sudden Miami and then back to the Europe appropriate Imola, it is a bit of a nightmare. And what Formula One is trying to do when they do put together their calendars is also for cost, you know, costs, because all the equipment has to be shipped uh, from the one to the other. And many, uh, a lot of the equipment gets shipped uh, by sea, and that's got to, that takes months sometimes. So lots of planning goes into the logistics of the calendar. But they are trying to sort of bundle the, the events together as they can develop the calendar in future. I do think we're going to probably find that this sort of hopping across the pond is going to change in the not-too-distant future because Formula One is very strong on trying to become carbon neutral by 2030. So, of course, you, you cannot get close to being carbon neutral if you have to fly people across the pond for one race only and the people and equipment and, you know, fly them back. It's not a very good image. You want to be carbon neutral. So that's a big, big factor driving changes to the calendar in the future as well. So three rookies, Oscar Piastri, Logan Sargent, and Nick DeFries, call them rookies. I mean, they are obviously have super licenses and they might be rookies in Formula One, but even though these guys are all pretty young, I guess they're all looking to show what they bring from the lower formulas to the ultimate test in a Formula One car. And the returning driver as well, Nico Hulkenberg, but we can talk Nico. about him a, bit, uh, yeah. a little bit later. Yeah, it's, it, we haven't had so many rookies uh, in Formula One for a particular season for quite a while. As you say, they are rookies in terms of Formula One, but they're certainly not rookies in terms of racing. Um, you know, many of these drivers, as all of the Formula One drivers, started racing um, at the age of four or five or six. So in terms of racing and battling against their rivals, they are veterans already. Um, it's just the machinery that changes, progresses. Yeah. I think the one driver that, that is probably going to be the most in the limelight is going to be Oscar, Oscar Piastri, the, the Aussie. And it seems that Australia has got a sort of a of young drivers, drivers that, that come from Australia and make it into Formula One, starting with Mark Webber and then uh, Danny Ricciardo. And now we've got uh, Oscar Piastri, very highly rated youngster, winning virtually everything in his junior career. Um, and of course, there was a big, big, big controversy about him Last year, he used to be or a development driver or part of the uh, Alpine uh, Driver Academy for, for Alpine. Um, and then he was stolen by <laughs> by McLaren and Alpine did not want to let him go, but he wanted to go. And there was a fight about his contract. And did Alpine have a contract with him? And it turned out that they didn't. So he was allowed to go. So before even the season started, even before the season ended last year, Piastri was 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 a controversial figure. And of course, he's, he's pairing what? up. To, next to Lando Norris, Piastri taking yeah. Danny Ricciardo's place. And it's going to be very interesting to see how these two youngsters fare. What Aussie sportsman is not involved in some kind of controversial <laughs> when boiled in something? I mean, and that yeah. comes from a stern South African, I will admit, in terms of my comments. Okay, okay. now, a couple of issues that have been brought up during the off-season uh, by the FIA, uh, one of them being the statements that they are and are not allowed to make as drivers. Obviously, there's been Black Lives Matter and taking a knee and all of those kind of things. Uh, your thoughts on that? It's not a simple conversation to have, Louis. On the one hand, I believe that we, we have to, we live in times where social media is prevalent uh, all over the world and where well-known people stars whether they you know whether they be movie stars or whether they be, they be sports stars 
they have huge followings and therefore they've got uh, very strong platforms to push whatever agendas they have. And that's a reality. You cannot stop that. It's going to happen. And you have somebody like Lewis Hamilton, for instance, and I don't have those figures in front of me, but he's got something ridiculous like 30 million followers on Instagram. And people like Sebastian Vettel, who's also got huge following. And many of, of the Formula One drivers have fairly substantial followers on social media. So therefore, they, they use those platforms not only to share things, you know, personal things, but also to share opinions. Now, the FIA has been fairly uh, easy about this sort of thing over the last few years. As we saw, especially last year, Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel and some other drivers used their platforms to talk about social uh, issues and, and even political issues. Things like, you know, human rights issues when they do, when Formula One does go to, to countries which which have um, questionable human rights records and drivers tend to speak out on that, uh, which wasn't the case a number of years ago. And, and 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 Formula One actually even assisted with that in the sense that they that they that they brought in mechanism whereby the drivers can express their views, as you mentioned, things like taking the knee before the start of the race, everybody together or make some kind of a gesture, make some kind of a point. And now at the beginning of the season, after one year of a new president, Mohammed bin Sulayem, the UAE, under him now, they made a declaration that they're not going to allow drivers to use Formula One as a platform for any political statements. I think it's going to be very difficult to enforce that. They may be able to enforce that during that race weekend itself. But, you know, uh, there is such a thing as freedom of speech. My opinion is that the FIA should just simply allow them to do this. They're going to do it anyway. And to try and stop them from doing it certainly, I think, imposes uh, on, on their the freedom of speech. And, and that's going to turn around and bite them. And this might have turned around and bit uh, the head of the governing body, Mr. Ben Suleiman, who thinks that women are not as smart as men. <laughs> Do you read anything into these comments or is it just newspaper? Yeah, talk? I think. I mean, I, and if he did say something 25 years ago, how can it be used against him in the new world? No, no, absolutely. But there is there is a, a huge battle going on behind the scenes. Uh, for many years, there's been peace between the, the world governing body, the FIA, under the presidency of Jean Todd um, and Formula One itself. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, they, they work together, basically. But with the new, with the new regime of uh, Ben Suleim, um, things have changed somewhat. There seems to be a bit of a civil war brewing between the, the FIA and Formula One. And when I say Formula One, I mean the, the commercial rights holders, Liberty Media. You know, Surya has been vocal about things, as, as we've mentioned, about things like political statements by the teams. The FIA even tried to clamp down some drivers wearing jewellery which has been uh, something that's been over- overlooked for many years. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton loves wearing his, his jewellery while he's racing. He's actually not allowed to do that. It can be dangerous, but anyway. And then, especially when the possibility of another team joining began to arise towards the end of the last season, even now, with Michael Andretti in, the, uh, in America trying to, to get his way uh, into Formula 1 as an 11th team, seems that Sulayem has taken sides and Formula 1, when I say that again, Liberty Media, they don't like that. They think it's commercial interference, which is not allowed. And so, therefore, there's been a bit of a, a toing and froing between the two parties. And I think there might even be some kind of a campaign going on to try and you know, maybe in the end get rid of, of the president, but at least undermine him at this point. And I think, you know, these uh, the remarks on an unused website from 21 years ago when he did say that, it's there on, on record that he did say that 21 years ago or something like that. 
that's probably just some being mischievous and trying to sow some some kind of uh, reflection on him uh, you know that that he's that he's misogynic is that the word wow. <laughs> um you uh, top of the pile everybody tries to uh, knock you down I yeah guess. i think i think i think there's a bit of a campaign going on at the moment and it's it it might even uh, continue well it will certainly continue during the course of the season but but i think we'll probably probably see more of that sort of thing uh, as the season progresses Okay, so I'm a traditionalist, I will be perfectly honest with you, and I love the fact that Max Verstappen will again be racing with the number one on the front of his car. What yeah. I am intrigued about, you did mention his name earlier on, Nico's back, Nico Hulkenberg, but he's got that iconic number 27 that he's using <laughs> this year. Ferrari, Nigel Mansell, man, you should know that. Yeah, I know, I know. It, uh, yeah, and, and it officially, I mean, it began with, yeah, I used to drive with, with Ferrari, you know, the Alberetta, I think. Alberetta number twenty seven. And it of course it it was originally I think it was the number for Gilles Villeneuve at Ferrari. But yeah, Nico Hockenberg, uh, you know, drivers are these days free to choose a number. They don't they don't get a number from the FIA anymore, as the case used to be, um, depending on where their teams finished in the previous year's championship. So these days, drivers can choose a number, and that's their permanent number. And the time they race in Formula One, that's their number. Doesn't matter what what team they drive for. So Nico, you know, number 27 is a significant number in the history of Formula One. I think Nico knows about the history of Formula One. I think the number, obviously, the number was available, so he chose the number 27. Good for him. So, Hockenberg, I remember, you know, actually meeting the guy many years ago when he was still driving for Team Germany in the A1GP series. Um, that one year, I think in 2006 season, he completely dominated, won about every race, and we all saw that, saw him as as a future Formula One star and a future Formula One champion. Didn't quite work out that way, but he's a very highly rated driver. Uh, you know, he's one of those drivers that seem to not be able to make the right career decision to choose the right team at the right time. He's been going through teams um, over the years, performing strongly, but not really, you know, being able to build a career with one team for a number of seasons. So let's hope that now with Haas next to Kevin Magnussen, Kevin Magnussen, a very hard racer as well, that the two of them can gel well together as the team, uh, the drivers for Team Haas this year. Is it going to be Max versus Lewis stroke George, do you think, or is there a third team that might upset the apple cart a bit? Well, I think Ferrari certainly going to be there. There's no question that, that they are competitive and that they're going to continue Yes, they've got a new team uh, principal in Frederick Vasseur, who comes over from the Alfa Romeo team. But uh, he seems to have been able to, to get his feet well under the table there. Uh, he's a hard man. He doesn't take any nonsense from anybody. Um, has a history with, with uh, of success in, in, in lesser formulae. Um, so I think, you know, it might take a while. He, he Of course, he would have no say about on this year's car because that the design for this year's car has been completed a long time ago. But certainly, if they can continue with where they left off, uh, where they left last season, Ferrari will certainly be uh, a factor. And as you mentioned, of course, Red Bull, you cannot write them off. They are the reigning champions, Max Verstappen. What is going to happen between him and Sergio Perez? The inter-team uh, battle there, because Perez is on record saying he's, he's ready to battle for the championship. But I think anybody who knows Formula One will know that you cannot be a, a real competitor for Max Verstappen in the same team. Uh, you know, the team is built around him. And uh, as I mentioned, Ferrari, Leclerc and Sainz again, a uh, very strong team. And um, Vassier is on record saying there will be no number one this year until it clearly uh, works out that the one is ahead of the other. 
Russell and Hamilton at Mercedes certainly there. And then the question, which team is going to finish behind the top three or even maybe join the top three? What about McLaren? They seem to be on the up. Uh, Alpine itself, they've got a, a five-year plan of which I think this year is the third year. So they should start to become more competitive this year as well. So I think, you know, at least those three teams and possibly a fourth joining them this season. I'm now even more excited for the start of the 2023 Formula One Grand Prix racing season. Henrik, I'm sure we'll talk to you in the next couple of months again. I'm not sure. going to ask you to Forward make to that. <laughs> but I do, but I, I do worry about somebody going from Alfa Romeo to Ferrari. <laughs> you know what it's like <laughs> when you buy an Alfa. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just a tongue-in-cheek comment, you know, they, or, or a Fiat, which is first in all trouble. But be that as it may, <laughs> these cars are absolutely on the brink of perfection, and we look forward to seeing them. I can't wait to see the new livery that's coming out, how they shine under the lights. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Lots to chat about. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining us on tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. We're going to zoom out of here and be back again with another edition on Pole Position next time. You have yourself a pleasant evening and as always be nice to each other. Bye-bye.